We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to a playoff edition of the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, my guy, Jack Manuel. What's up, Jack? First ever playoff preview edition of the Brooklyn Buzz. I literally just got goosebumps saying that. I could probably cry right now. (laughs) (laughs) This is an emotional day. I mean, I've been extremely happy, obviously, since the Nets beat the Pacers. But now seeing the matchup, seeing the schedule, we know what's going to happen. They're facing the Sixers in the first round. This This is huge for the organization, huge for the team, huge for this young guys. Before we get into it, though... Quick reminder, check us out, iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, and YouTube. But, Jack, initial emotion and feeling about the series before we kind of dive into the preview. Yeah, I was at the the Heat game last night, Nick. Um, for those that didn't see, I was lucky enough to to win tickets thanks to the awesome people at the Brooklyn Nets uh, social media. Um, it was an absolutely awesome experience. And there was a, a, a real, you know, for lack of a better term, buzz around <laughs> the guys in the brigade that, in terms of really wanting and, and desiring to, to face the Sixers. And now that we sort of, you know, hear these rumblings of Joel Embiid possibly missing game one, uh, I think that the Nets fans are salivating at the prospect of aversing a rival that's only, you know, uh, an hour train ride away. So I think that there's going to be a competitive series. Uh, and there'll be lots of factors that go into it. We'll obviously dive quite deep, and we got some um, some great questions uh, on my Twitter when I when I put that out there too. Yeah, hundred percent, Jack. And you, I'm very happy the Nets rewarded an excellent fan in Jack being over from Australia in the United States. So it was very cool to have him there, and he got to see D Wade's last game. But like you talked about, I think about this series. There is some hope that the Nets could maybe pull an upset or force this six or seven games, and that's just not from Nets people. You're seeing people across the NBA talk about some of the issues the Sixers have, and like Jack said, we're going to dive right into it. So starting off, we'll look into the season results. You know, what we saw, these teams went 2-2 two two against each other, one win on the road, one win at home. It also included a game winner from Jimmy Butler. What could we take away from these season results, Jack? 
I think that you take some things away from it. You, you take away from the fact that the Nets match up pretty well uh, against the Sixers. You know, their guard depth is certainly a strong point of theirs, and we'll get to that obviously a little bit later when we look into the strengths and weaknesses. Um, but at the same time, this Sixers team has been in flux so often in terms of you know the, the fabulous five, the starting five, whatever they're called. Um, I don't think they're called the Fabulous Five, but I think they should be with a PH. I, I kind of <laughs> like that, just as a little tidbit. Um, I think that this team has been so in flux with the amount of star power that they have when they're starting five, and it's been so sensational. And funnily enough, the last time that they did play together uh, via an article from John Schumann uh, as a starting five was against the Nets uh, in their last matchup on March 28. Now, plus 11 in that matchup. So obviously, they're an incredibly talented squad and one of the best starting fives in the league, if not the best in terms of talent there. So I think that you can only look so much back to the previous matchups because it's not the, it's this current iteration of the Sixers. But at the same time, Joel Embiid's health, how much does that affect this series going forward? If he doesn't play game one, can the Nets, you know, steal it and, and get home court advantage back? You know, does Boban, you know, fit back in or Mike Scott? What, what's going on with that sort of, you know, front court rotation? So I think you take little things uh, and little um, positives and negatives from it and sort of go from it. But I think you look at this as a clean slate. The, the playoffs are a completely different ball game. As they say, it's a new season. Yeah, no, there's obviously the small things you take away, Jack. And you brought up a great point. The fact is the Sixers brought in all these pieces during the season. You know, adding All-Stars, or if you want to call it Tobias Harrison All-Star, Fringe All-Star, whatever it is, you know, adding two guys like him and Jimmy Butler into a team, it almost takes a whole year to kind of get that full-on gel and chemistry. So they still have had issues, and you mentioned Embiid's health is going to be a major factor in this series. So we'll take away some of the things. I thought, in my eyes, uh, the guard play of the Nets, D'Angelo Russell, Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, all average over 19 points a game against Philly this year. Karis only played two games. Also, Joe Harris shot over 55% from deep against the Sixers this year. Yeah, and, and that's all, uh, a little bit strange because the Sixers do have some nice um, wing depth in terms of, you know, obviously their bench unit isn't great, but it seemed like they didn't show my boy Joey Buckets the respect that he deserved. And he's well-rested now, looked quite good in his nice little sharp suit against Miami, was on the bench, obviously not as good as Damari Carroll in his nice <laughs> slim blue suit. That The swag daddy himself is just something else. Um, but yeah, I think that three-point shooting is an area that the Nets could be able to exploit. Um, I don't want to get too much into our sort of strengths and weaknesses, but Joe Harris is obviously uh, going to be a key player in this series, as he has been for the Nets all season. Three Nets in the season series shot over 55%. So Joe Harris, Jared Dudley, and Spencer Dinwiddie. Karis LeVert shot over 40%. So perimeter defense, like we talked about, we can only take so many things away, but something to keep an eye on. And also the perimeter defense against the guards driving, like we talked about. And on the Sixer side, Joel Embiid's health is a huge factor because he dominated the Nets, and we know bigs have dominated the Nets. He's averaged 30 and 14 against him this year. He's a beast. He is my <laughs> – and you guys did your All-NBA picks. He'd, he'd be my All-NBA center. Um, I go by, when it comes to All-NBA, not necessarily guys who play the most or whatever. At, at the end of the day, if there's a toss of the coin between a, a guy like Jokic and Embiid, I go with whoever I think is the better player. Same like Durant and Paul George, I'd go with Durant just because he's a better player. Um, and, and that's just a, a purely subjective thing. Um, but speaking of Embiid, in the regular season series, the Nets actually outscored the Sixers by 40 points in the 58 minutes where Embiid was off the floor. So if he's off the floor for 48 minutes um, in the first game, then there's a real chance, uh, again, uh, a great article by John Schumann uh, in terms of his playoff preview for that Nets series. He, he obviously provides great analytics. So um, some great points there. And, you know, the, the MB factor, I think, is the number one thing heading to game one. And we'll look back on this podcast and, and go, okay, what was it? Um, and we're obviously, when we got our predictions, 
Um, I, I remember when we were chatting in the DMs in, in preparation for this episode, I'm like, I think I have to literally give, you know, two different predictions for one if Embiid is healthy for game one, game two, game three, and one if, you know, he's not healthy. Yeah, he's a huge factor. It's not just going to be his health too. It's going to be the fact that the Nets can get him off the f- floor with foul trouble, which they've done in the, some of the season series that they face against him. So I think, you know, getting his emotions against him is going to be big in the series. Another quick stat from the previous matchups these teams had, J.J. Redick only shot 25% from three against the Nets this year, which some of it probably is just an outlier. And I think some of it also possibly has to do with the defense that the Nets do play and the fact that, the Sixers really don't have much perimeter shooting outside of uh, J.J. Redick and to an extent Tobias Harris and to an even lesser extent um, Jimmy Butler. So if you just hone on that one guy, Joe Harris, like well, not Joe Harris, J.J. Redick, um, then you're sort of taking away a, a real key aspect to, to modern NBA basketball. And J.J. Redick is one of the best three-point shooters of the past you know, half decade. Um, so if we can you know, hone in on him, prevent his effectiveness, force the ball out of his hands, um, then I think that there's a, a, a real strong point where the Nets can get an ascendancy on the perimeter. Yeah, disrupt him. Don't let him get comfortable, especially early in the series. You want to make him feel you the entire series. Get him, you know, thinking he has to fade away. He can still knock down the shots, but it's better than giving him a wide open three. So, but Jack, anything else you want to touch on for the season series and the recap portion, or do you want to move on to the strengths? Yeah, I think we'll go to the strengths of weakness. I think, it's, like I sort of said, Nick, I'll, I'll hark back to it. You, you take only so much from a regular season series when, you know, it's a completely different ball game um, when the stuff really starts to matter. Now, we'll start with the Sixers' strengths. What's their strength going against the Nets or in general? I mean, we talked about Joel Embiid. I think he is the, the biggest strength, both uh, figuratively and literally. <laughs> um, they, they're top 10 in offensive rating, so I think that their offense you know, often you know, goes underrated. You know, the fourth best scoring team in the league. They get to the line a heap. Um, the, they have attempted the second most free throws in the season. Uh, and despite the fact that they're, they're 19th in three-point attempts, they are eighth in three-point percentage, and they're eighth in also field goal percentage. So um, they're also they're assisting and rebounding. You know, you have guys like Ben Simmons. You have guys they've got a lot of size, um, and, and Ben Simmons is obviously a, a phenomenal passer. TJ McConnell's a nice little piece too, and Joel Embiid low key isn't too bad passing out of the post as well. So a lot of strengths for for this team. Um, obviously, we we spoke about you know how good they are with that starting five, um, but there are some weaknesses. You know, conversely to that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you pretty much covered it all, Jack. I think the starting lineup is huge. They have so much talent, and they're literally huge. You know, they have oversized guys in there from Joel Embiid to Tobias Harris to Ben Simmons. So you look at that and their ability to just attack inside. And I think they have the potential to play good defense. They don't necessarily do it all the time. But just the talent they bring in their starting lineup is really an X factor in the series in terms of strength because the Nets' starting lineup is good, but it's not super talented. They have one all-star compared to three or four all-stars with Philadelphia. Yeah, and in terms of that, you know, I, I think that the defensive aspect that we sort of touched on, Joel Embiid is an all-defensive caliber player, one of the best, you know, defenders in the league and, a, and a, you know, a defensive player of the year candidate and will be for the rest of his career. Ben Simmons is, you know, growing as a, as a defender and probably an all-defensive candidate himself. And Jimmy Butler, one of the best two-way sort of wings in the league in that department as well. And, you know, Tobias Harris has some size about him. JJ Redick is the really guy that you can sort of exploit in that sort of aspect. And it'll be interesting to see... You know, if if Coach Kenny in that sort of sense, you know, targets him and sort of, you know, looks to whoever is, you know, being guarded by JJ playing through him, because I think that, you know, despite the fact that we don't have that high end talent, we make up for it in terms of our consistency across the board. 
Yeah, inner cohesion and just guys knowing their role. And that's another thing with the Sixers, even though all the talent, they could have issues not knowing who's going to take the last shot, things along those lines. Moving to the Nets, though, what's their strength in the series or in general? Yeah, I'm going to give them a couple of things, Nick. Uh, I, I talked about, you know, despite the fact that some of these, you know, strengths are overlapped to an extent, the Nets are also a really good rebounding team. Um, so I think that that battle itself is going to be, you know, absolutely crucial. And we've sort of seen that throughout the season. You know, we did so well against the Pacers and, you know, it, it came out with the win. Uh, we're, good, we're good at getting to the line as well. You know, it, it's not great when we get there in terms, of, I think we're like 26th or 25th in, in uh, free throw percentage and, and three-point shooting. You know, we're one of the best and when it comes to attempts. Um, we're one of the best when it comes to makes. Um, where We rely on it heavily. It's a, it's a huge part to our offensive system. And yeah, I think the, the, the cohesion, chemistry and depth that we have as well um, are, are real pluses that we can hopefully use to our advantage against this, um, this really talented Sixers squad. Yeah, again, Jack, you covered some great points. I'll just throw in, you know, I think our guard plays a strength in this series. You know, the Sixers just don't have an array of guards they can throw at you that are really good. Ben Simmons is like a guard, but he's more so a forward. So it's like a weird combination you have out there. Jimmy Butler's a guard or a forward, where the Nets are more consistent with who they have in a D'Angelo, Dinwiddie, and Levert. And it's nice to see D'Angelo and Levert really heating up. And we talked about Spencer having success against the Sixers in the past. And you brought up the depth. I think that's an area where the Nets have the ability, ability to mix and match and throw different lineups at you where Brett Brown really doesn't have a whole ton of lineups he can throw at you. He has a couple guys in the bench you can count on. Other than that, it's mostly a starting lineup. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that in the, in the postseason, in the playoffs, those rotations generally shrink a little bit. So it's going to be interesting to see how Coach Kenny does adjust to that and, and whether he continues to go to an, you know, a nine-man rotation or does he shrink it to an eight-man rotation. Um, no, I, I think that we sort of talked about and we harked on it in the, the regular season, the fact that he's remained adaptable and has been proactive, uh, especially of late in terms of, you know, making the right rotations, making the right right moves and not necessarily saying steadfast because uh, the playoffs are a different ball game. And, you know, Coach Kenny has had a great season as a coach and has continued to develop. Um, but, you know, he's still got a ways to go, as does this team. So, you know, I think each game on a game-by-game basis, you know, making the right rotations, making the right moves, putting in the right guys, you know, calling the right timeouts. Um, I think Coach Kenny's got a, a crucial role to play. Do you think Kenny's more adaptable than Brett Brown is based off what we saw last year of him in the postseason? I think it's easier for Coach Kenny to be more adaptable, if that makes sense, in the sense yeah. that I think that he's got the buy-in from his players. You know, there isn't necessarily the sort of superstar ego uh, on the the Brooklyn Nets, you know, GMs that Russell has you know, been criticized for having, you know, a poor attitude in the past. And obviously, Magic Johnson, bye-bye-bye, see you later. Um, if you want to talk about leadership, my friend, why would you quit a job at the crucial crucial point? But um, that's, for another day. that's for another day, mate. That's for another day. Uh, I don't want to get too worked up because I'm, I'm in a happy mood. But, yeah, I think in that sense, because the, the Nets locker room and culture is so great, um, it's a lot easier for, for Coach Kinnick to get the buy-in. And your Carlos Levert post game is like, coach wants us to do this. So I think that whereas Brett Brown has uh, a, an array of superstars on his roster and that sort of personality challenge and then the lack of sort of depth on the bench, you know, you know the Golden State Warriors do like that depth on the bench, but because they've had continuity for the past four or five years and, you know, there's been guys in and out of that sort of rotation, but there's been consistency. Um, I think consistency is is a real key, obviously, in, in most facets of life, but in, in NBA basketball and at this part of the season, They've lacked real consistency, and I think that that's an area where the Nets and the coaching staff can exploit. 
Yeah, and I think you brought up a great point. It's almost easier for Kenny, too, because he's had guys have different roles all season long. You know, hey, Shabazz, you got to play backup point guard because Spencer and Karis LeVert are out. Or, hey, Trevion Graham, you're going to see big minutes because, you know, somebody else is out or things along those lines. So there's a lot of different options for Kenny to throw out there that can really just throw the Sixers off because they can't adjust quite as much based off their personnel. Now, moving yeah. on to the weaknesses, Jack, what's the biggest weakness for Philly? Biggest weakness for Philly is um, their bench depth. We sort of touched on it a little bit. Um, you know, who is their best player coming off the bench? Is it TJ McConnell? I would probably say it's Mike Scott, to be honest. And that's saying something. You know, you don't want <laughs> Mike Scott to be your six-man sort of contender. Whereas we have guys, you know, probably three guys coming off the bench that would be as good, if not better. You know, Harris Avert coming off the bench. Spencer Dinwiddie coming off the bench. Um, you know, Trevion Graham's been good this season. And Davis has been one of the best rebounding bigs in the league. So I think that in terms of depth, that's one uh, key area and obvious area. And in terms of the Sixers guarding sort of small guys, you know, we sort of talked about um, no team has scored more on drives against the Sixers this season than the Nets. You know, 37, over 37 points per game. So, and the Nets love to drive. Spencer Dimony loves to drive. Karras loves to drive. D'Angelo has improved his driving and aggression in that sort of facet as well. As well as guys like Damari Carroll and Trevion Graham, I think is, it goes a little bit underrated in that aspect too. So I think if we can continue to force the issue in that aspect um, and, you know, and B doesn't play or he gets in foul trouble or we force him to get in foul trouble by continuing to drive, then I think that that just needs to be, you know, in, in many ways, it's a very simple thing. Drive, 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 kick. If there's guys open, kick it out to them. And I think that, you know, uh, when you get to the playoffs, you need to narrow that focus. And I think that, you know, reading all the analytics and everything that comes with it, I think it just proves that if we can drive hard on them, that it, it's going to be hard for guys. Uh, we talked about their size, but how they're going to be able to guard the quickness of a guy like Spencer Dimity, the sort of footwork of a guy like Carlos Levert, and, you know, De'Anne's Russell, who can shoot over anyone. He's got great size about him. And is just one of the best, you know, shooting guards right now in terms of his form in the, in the league. Yeah, honestly, Jack, spot on. The drives are just going to break down the defense, and obviously the ball can move faster than a human. So now, you know, they're reacting to you, trying to prevent you to the rim. You're passing along the outside, knocking down your three-point shot. I think that's going to be huge. I also think the Sixers' pick-and-roll defense, see how they handle that. I know they had issues against the Nets this year. They've had issues against guys like Trey Young because they let Embiid sit back. And if you have a guy like D'Angelo Russell knocking down, you know, threes or mid-range jumpers, whatever it may be, that's going to put pressure on them too. Are you going to force them to switch? You're going to pull Embiid away from the rim? Now Spencer has ISOs on him. I think there's a lot of different options for the Nets guards to attack the Sixers defense, and that's going to be a major factor. And it works out for the Nets because I would say their most talent is at the guard position. Yeah, and and I think that it's a real yin and yang sort of style here. And I think that that's what makes this series so intriguing. You know, there's so many, you know, different talking points, so many different key moving pieces. And, you know, if it's obviously um, a game of runs. It's the, 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 the cliche saying in basketball. But, you know, if the Nets get off to a good first quarter, if the Angela Russell goes on one of his hot runs, and, you know, just last night, you know, I was speaking to you off the pod about, about being at the game. The Angela Russell had nine points at the half, and he was one of the leading scorers. Within two minutes and seven seconds, he had 21 points. <laughs> it's insane. And, you know, we, we spoke about, and with Will as well, when we had the podcast um, following the, the Sacramento Kings game, you know, D'Angelo Russell, it, this it feels like he's, he's made for playoff basketball. He feels like he wants these moments. And uh, I'm hoping he can have some big moments. But I think, yeah, we'll talk about X-Factors and, and big sort of guys. But, you know, I think our guards, you know, even if one guy is off, I think that, that we have the sort of depth. And despite the fact that they're in, they're in their youth, they haven't had that, um, those moments yet, we have, you know, guys like Jared Dudley, Ed Davis, Damari Carroll. These guys have been there and done that before. So they can sort of get our guys ready, as they have done for, for the entire season. 
And I would say that two games against the Pacers and the Bucks kind of showed the Nets playing a little bit something closer to playoff basketball. Obviously, they need to yeah. turn the intensity up a little bit more. But that Pacers game, you know, there weren't really a ton of mistakes, and they played a good game all around. That's something that really you could look back to and have some confidence going in the series. Now, on the Sixers side, I mean, on the Nets side, what would be their weakness? Yeah, I think that the Nets have some, you know, obvious weaknesses in terms of their ability to guard the big man. Um, you know, Jared Allen has struggled. Um, Ed Davis, you know, uh, is a good enough defender and has physicalness to him, but he can get in foul trouble pretty easily. Um, so I think that, you know, guarding a guy like Embiid, um, it can be a little bit tricky. And I think that there's times where the Nets have too many lapses in games um, mm. in terms of when a team uh, and against good teams and you can't do that in the playoffs. So you know, if there's a five-minute stretch at the start of the game, that could mean game over. That happened against the uh, just a few games ago uh, against the Milwaukee Bucks. It honestly happened the last time they played the Sixers. They had a terrible first quarter and they played well the rest of the game, but that first quarter hole was so big, they lost the game. So uh, I think playing 48 minutes, the Nets have done it rarely. The, the Indiana Pacers game was a really nice sort of point where it's just like, if you can, that, that sort of is just like, you know, you just watch that video and you just see how engaged they were. And, and Coach Kenny mentioned after the game, he's like, there was just this noticeable shift about them. So I think that mentality in, in terms of just being able to stay engaged on both ends of the floor, you know, runs are going to happen. But as long as you can just focus one possession at a time, get a stop. Yeah, Embiid's going to get hot. But Coach Kenny, you've got to talk, call the timeout at that point if that's what's happening. You can't let the, the run go to like 10-0 or 12-0 or 14-0. You know, call an early timeout. Do a Greg Popovich if you have to. Um, you know, I think that there's going to be a lot of points throughout that. It's going to take, you know, the veteran leadership, the the, the budding leadership of a guy like D'Angelo Russell. Um, so I think that there's obvious weaknesses for the, for the Nets. We don't have this, the star power, the firepower. We don't have the size uh, that a Philadelphia 76ers squad has. But uh, at the same time, you know, we talked about our strengths and weaknesses. So that clash and how... Who sort of comes out on top? I, I think that it's it's going to be a, a sort of pendulum. It's going to go back and forth a lot. Uh, it's just going to be at the end of the, the 48 minutes, who has the ascendancy and who has the longer runs, who's able to sort of gain the ascendancy at the crucial points. You brought up a great point about the runs, Jack. I think one thing the Nets do, especially when the other team gets on a run, they almost help them where they have these careless turnovers or these bad shots where it's like, all right, if the other team's on a run, you got to slow down the possession and make sure you get an excellent shot or you get to the free throw line, slow down the game, or if that's Kenny calling the timeout and making a sub, whatever it may be. I think that's going to be crucial in the playoffs because we saw too many of these runs where the Nets are doing fine or they're within the game, then also the other team breaks it open. Then obviously you brought up the interior defense, and it's not just on Jared Allen. It's also on the on-ball defense. Guys getting to the rim and now you're forcing Allen to help now somebody else has to rotate on MB that just can't deal with him Allen can't already deal with him but if you expect Rodion's or Damari Kell to rotate on MB it's just not going to work out so I think the on-ball defense has to be good because that's going to allow the bigs to focus more on MB and I've gotten a little more confident in the on-ball defense to an extent with a guy like Trivion Graham playing some better basketball Damari Kell is proven in that area yes. Rodion's obviously is going to be a question mark just being a rookie but you know he's sure had his moments as well Carol Savert like you mentioned when I was talking about in the Pacers game you know it was one of the best two-way games I've seen him play as a Brooklyn net and you know he just looks confident on both ends of the floor so we have you know the the capable sort of you know guard and wing depth and, and defensively but you know DeAngelo Russell's going to have to have a couple of defensive plays he's going to need to remain engaged you know if he gets scored on a couple of times by a guy like Ben Simmons or whoever he's guarding or JJ then he can't lose that sort of confidence um he can't sort of get down and despondent um, but uh, yeah, there's a there's a lot of factors both ways for both teams. Uh, it's going to be at the end of the day, who can nullify their weaknesses 
and who can utilize their strengths uh, at the important times because you know the nets have some obvious weaknesses the, the sixes have obvious weaknesses but you know the bench depth doesn't necessarily matter if your stars are scoring you know 85 points uh, guarding the smalls doesn't necessarily matter if you have a Joel and B getting like eight blocks a night so um, I think it goes both ways yeah, it's really going to be interesting to see how this all kind of breaks down and talking about how it's going to break down. What are some key matchups, Jack? We were talking player versus team or player versus player. Yeah, I think in terms of um, player versus team, it's, it's obviously Joel Embiid versus just the entire Nets front court, how, how <laughs> they can sort of guard with that. And uh, I think a guy like JJ Redick uh, versus whoever is guarding him on the perimeter, is it going to be a Spencer? Is it going to be a Joe? Um, I wouldn't want to have D'Angelo on him. I'd rather have him on a guy like Ben Simmons and sort of sag off him a little bit, let him just play his passing game. And obviously let sort of Jared Allen and, and, and sort of communicate in that sort of aspect. So I think in, in that sort of aspect, you can obviously talk about all these sort of guys, you know, who guards Jimmy Butler? I don't know. Who guards Tobias Harris? I don't know. I think it's going to come down to team defense. So as much as individual matchups are going to be, you know, obviously crucial points, I think the individual matchups will be possession by possession. Uh, and I think for me, one thing that sticks out, like you sort of spoke about earlier in terms of JJ Reddit, Nick, well, I think that whoever is, you know, we need to have a solitary focus on him on the perimeter. Make the shots hard for him. Make him work. You know, and on the on the defensive end, run it through him. You know, get him tired so that he's not wanting to run around the perimeter like a madman because uh, we want our boy Joey Buckets doing that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. And you talked about it. The matchups, player to player, is going to be interesting because we did see some interesting matchups. I think D'Angelo was on Jimmy Butler last time. You know, I saw Spencer Dinwiddie chasing uh, JJ Redick around last game. So a lot of different matchups. I think overall, like you touched on it, the Nets versus Embiid. It's not even just I think the Nets front court. I think it's almost the entire team because they're going to have to get really creative with defending him. It's going to be some games you're going to dig down and try to steal the ball. You just want to make him uncomfortable and not really know it's coming. And I think the Celtics have done a great job in that in the past. There's a lot of tape they can watch to kind of deal with that obviously the Nets don't have Al Horford but the overall team defense then I think the Sixers perimeter defense slash pick and roll defense first D'Lo Levert and Dinwiddie is going to be huge also think it's going to be really big how the Nets deal with transition with Ben Simmons because we know that's the best part of his game when he's out in transition there's not really a ton you can do yeah and I think that that relates as well to our own rebounding you know in terms of how much are we going to value offensive rebounding in a series where you know their their rebounding is better than ours, you know, just by the by purely by the stats that the Sixers are a better rebounding team than us. Do we give up that sort of aspect or just try and nullify it, try and box it out as hard as we can? And then, you know, or is it there's certain players that have that sort of free reign? Whereas, you know, I think that Rodion's Kouros looks best when he's trying to get every single rebound possible. Mm-hmm. But, you know, every other player, let them do their thing. Because I think Rodion has the pace to get back in transition. Uh, but then at the same time, there has to be that communication. So, yeah, I think transition, Ben Simmons is... Uh, no, I don't think there's any more dangerous player in transition than, than him in the NBA because um, he has a great handle. He's a uh, has sensational vision, um, and when he gets into the paint, he's nigh unstoppable. Yeah, a couple other matchups too. I want to talk about it would be you know the Sixers versus the Nets three point shooting and the Nets versus Sixers three point shooting, and then we kind of hinted at it before: Kenny Atkinson versus Brett Brown, which arguably could be maybe one of the biggest matchups and maybe an advantage the Nets could have in the series. Yeah, and we talked about it at length, and you know I think that. At the same time, you know, we can't discount a guy like Brett Brown. You know, he's been a part of the Sixers team since the process years. And I think he's been a, a really big part in terms of rebuilding this this Sixers team, the Sixers franchise and the culture. You know, before Elton Brand was even, you know, installed as GM, you know, Brett Brown was the, the interim GM there. So he has had a massive role to play in, in this revitalization. I think he gets a lot of uh, unwarranted criticism, you know, a little bit too much. I know. Um, my other favorite Nick in this world is a big fan of his Nick Busingon co-host of JBT. He's a big fan of Brett Brown and what he does. 
um, there obviously might be a little bit of Aussie bias there, but <laughs> I think Brett Brown is a good coach. But I think this series for him, he has an opportunity to prove some naysayers wrong. But at the same time, Coach Kenny has a, a chance to to continue to you know improve his reputation and his standing within the league uh, as an up and coming coach. Yeah, and I think the pressure is more so on Brett Brown. You know, you're looking at Kenny into his first series. Brett Brown, a lot of people looked at last year. Hey, you could have done a better job in that Sixers versus Celtics series because they took advantage of you in different ways. So I think that's one thing that can kind of help the Nets in the series in general is the lack of pressure on Brooklyn where all the pressure's on Philadelphia, especially if Embiid's banged up. And we know they have all this all-star talent. Two of their big names are going to be free agents this year. Yeah, exactly. So there's a, a lot of outside storylines uh, affecting the Sixers team, whereas for the Nets, because that's the, the beauty of being the underdog at the same time. Obviously, it's a lot harder for you to get the win because you don't have the talent. Um, there, there's all the, the, the myriad of circumstances and factors that can prevent you from getting that win. But because you, you almost have this freedom about you that it's just like no expectations, let's do it. We weren't expected to make that, you know, before, you know, I was obviously, you know, very wary and very uh, not necessarily... Uh, having the most confidence in terms of us making the postseason in the first place. A lot of guys were like, let's remain realistic. The Nets don't make the, uh, the playoffs. It's still a successful season. I would agree with that, um, looking back on it, uh, because I, pre- I didn't predict us to make the playoffs anyway. Uh, I know you didn't as well when you were doing it with Corey in, in the NBA Outlet Series. So the fact that we're there now, um, it, there is this element of freedom about being the underdog that I think can give you you know, because you, know, you can play sort of pressurized basketball, sort of like overthinking it. Whereas the Nets sort of have this freedom and, and movement and synergy that I think is going to be helped by that sort of lack of, you know, uh, inhibition, so to speak. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think you look at the season, even if you pick playoffs, the moment Karis LeVert went down, you're like, all right, my expectations for this entire season change. Or then Spencer Dinwiddie gets hurt and he's out a month. Like you're looking at it like, oh, you know, if this team can just improve on what they did last year, even a 10-win jump at 38, I thought would have been huge. I said this to you before. It's like they're playing with house money with more house money that they made off the house money. So it's like they're in the playoffs. Their coaches didn't expect it. Their GM didn't expect it. They're already here. It's just a lot of energy for them and a lot of positive momentum carrying into the position they are right now. So, I mean, I'm sure the players are super excited, and they talked about it. I know Dinwiddie, D'Lo mentioned how it's not just about getting the playoffs. They want to make a mark in the playoffs. Yeah, and I think that Coach Kenny mentioned, you know, right towards the end of the season, he was probably similar in, in my sort of vein, in my sort of thought process, that he didn't think that the, this team could win the playoffs. It was just simple in that. Whereas we talked about in the preseason, you know, guys like Ed Davis, Jared Dudley, Tamari Carroll, these guys are just don't want to just make up the numbers. They want to be successful. They want to have an impact. And, and I think that it was driven by them. So uh, it's been a, a wonderful storyline, just the, the team and, and the coaches and just everything that's happened with it. But um, it, it's, it, it's, it's not over. It, it's not over. And we can still have an impact in, in the rest of the, the, the really important part and, and where teams and players really make a mark. A hundred percent. Jack, I know we have some questions. We also have some X factors to talk about. I know a couple of our uh, our fans out there mentioned who are the X factors for this series. You want to start with the Sixer side or the Nets side? Yeah, so Kyle Russell and one of King Miguel's questions were who are the X factors for, for both teams um, in, in this series? And I, I'll go, we'll go with the Nets first. And I think for me, you know, obviously you look at, you know, DeAndre Russell, you could Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, our best sort of players, our two best players. So I don't think you can count them as X factors. So for me, it's a guy like Joe Harris. It's a guy like Trevion Graham. I think Trevion Graham has had a, a really low-key, nice end to this season. You know, he's been shooting the three ball well. He looks confident. And I think that his, you know, defense is going to be important against guys like Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris. Now, he's not going to need to score like a madman. 
but I think he does the right, has been doing the right things a lot more in terms of making his shots, making good defensive plays. You know, when I was at the game last night, when he would be guarding D Wade and he made sure that he was guarding D Wade. Whereas there were times where like, you know, D Lo was switched onto him or Shabazz was switched onto him and they just gave him the open shot. So like, I, I like that mentality from Trevion Graham. So um, just uh, not necessarily many people would probably agree with me in that sort of aspect and, that, and other people would be saying, you know, uh, a lot of other guys coming off the bench and some of our other starters. Um, but I, I'm, I'm really confident in those guys. And, and Joe Harris, you know, just obvious reasons. Listen to this podcast for the last two years, you'll, you'll find out. <laughs> no, I think another point about Trevion Graham that isn't necessarily something, and not that the other Nets don't do it, but I think he has a, a knack for this, and that's the hustle plays. You always see him on the ground going for the loose balls or making the extra effort out there. And I think that's something you really appreciate. And then physicality in the playoffs is a huge factor. So I like the Graham pick. Like you mentioned, Joe Harris is three-point shooting. You know, he's the type of guy that can really make or break a game if he's knocking down five or six threes because you're you're glued to him especially with some of the screen setters and that's have like ed davis out there so i think that's a big factor obviously what was the stat on him nick did you tell me that before the show was that during the show uh, in terms of his shooting this season yeah the- against the sixers uh over 55 percent from three so i don't know if that's the go. sixers giving him the respect or him just feeling good and uh wells fargo center in and obviously he's always feeling good at barclays oh yeah big time now, Karis LeVert, I think, is another guy's X-Factor series because you mentioned D'Lo and Dinwiddie being the best players in the Nets, and I think Karis is an X-Factor because he has the ability to get up to that level and be the Nets' best two-way player on this team with the defense he can bring and just those extra energy plays. And we talked about driving getting to the rim. He's a guy that can get him beat in foul trouble too. So he's a guy I'm going to keep on. And then just for the Nets in general, I think the three-point shooting in the series is going to be a major X-Factor. If they can shoot – from 38 to like 45%, that would be major. If they shoot under 38%, it's going to really hurt their chances. Yeah, it, it really will. Um, it's obviously, it's you live and die by the three, as they say. Um, the Houston Rockets died by it. and yeah, it, it, we, could, we could be killed by it ourselves. We could be killing ourselves slowly in that sort of aspect. And uh, I'll give a minor shout out to Rodion Skurutz. Uh, I think that you know, okay. in terms of X-Factor moments, I think that he has the, the potential for a lot of X-Factor moments. Um, you know, Obviously, he's not going to play 35 minutes a game. But I think Rodion's getting his dunks, getting his sort of still, um, still and slam, his sort of you know signature sort of play, and you're getting some big boards and just making some big plays, and you know getting to the heads of some guys. You know we we saw Blake Griffin absolutely hated him. We saw Vince <laughs> Carter at the game that we were at. You know he wanted to, to chop off freaking Rodion's court's head. Um, he's been up and down of late, but I just love his mentality. I I, I love his his role within this team. So I'm hoping for a, a big few moments from our boy Brody. He can give you that early momentum. You mentioned the stealing slams. He gets you a couple big plays early in the game where he's knocking down a three-point shot. We've talked about it a lot. It can open up the offense to a whole different degree. Now, I wanted to bring up one other thing. Obviously, I don't. I think we both agree that Jared Allen's not really going to have much of a time uh, guarding Joel Embiid. So I think Ed Davis could actually be an X factor in the series. Yeah, I mean, I don't see that as being a, an invalid point at all, Nick. You know, I, I know you've been a massive fan of his I'm you know I'm he's one of his biggest fans as well and he's been one of the the best sort of signings for for the Nets of the past sort of few years um Ed Davis is a tremendous rebounder but at the same time you know he needs to maintain his sort of discipline as well because we're going to need him at, at certain points and he can give away some foul, a little bit too many fouls at some at certain points and Joel Embiid is not only a very strong player but a very crafty player mm. you know, he has just a He's a he's a beast. Like he's one of the best big men since Shaquille O'Neal, um, and that might be overselling him a little bit. But you know, uh, he's just has such a wide array of moves, and 
you know, we saw him against us in the last game, hit his, you know, big threes. You know, you don't want him to get hot from there, despite the fact that he's not as comfortable. But if you know, it just feeds into the general confidence of him, the team, and uh, that absolutely massive uh, home advantage with their home crowd. Yeah, it's like you make a my two K player, and you're making a center, and you give him a guard package because that's what Joel Embiid has, his ability to handle the ball a little bit. And then you mentioned he's crafty in the post. He'll hit you with like six pump fakes and then finally go up. He'll get the foul and the and one. So it's just really a tough task defending him. Now moving over to the Sixer side, what's some X factors for them? Um, I'm going to give a minor shout out to Mike Scott. Um, I like him as a player. Um, it might be because, you know, Nick's old wizard bias has somehow rubbed off on me a little bit. Emoji but, cat. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> Um, and I think you'd be remiss not to mention a guy like JJ Redick who has, you know, similar, ha- everything we said about Joe Harris, you know, you insert copy control Z control, control V uh, for JJ Redick. He's an absolute stud. And, you know, I think that one of Tobias Harris, Jimmy Butler, if, if they're, if they're going to have a big game, it's going to be difficult for the, for the Nets to continue to get a win. If we can nullify them to an extent, because I think that they're just, both of those guys are great players, you know, their playoff, you know, they're not playoff. They're all-star worthy players. Um, we, we know Jimmy Butler on his day is a, a top 15 player in the league. Tobias Harris, one of the uh, better shooting wings in the league and, you know, could be on the nets, you know, sooner rather than later as well. So I think that we need to keep an eye on just the, just that starting five. It, it's a, it has a myriad of X factors in there. Yeah, I mean, I think a couple X factors I'm looking at, obviously Joel Embiid's health. We've mentioned earlier on, that's going to probably be maybe the biggest factor in the series. Is he healthy? Is he defending at a high rate? How is he doing out there? Then you mentioned it. I think another thing to keep an eye on would be like Ben Simmons free throw shooting. Like Kenny strikes me as a type that could go to like a hack a strategy if Ben Simmons is having a really bad series from the free throw line just to kind of switch it up and make the Sixers uncomfortable and make Simmons uncomfortable. And then just looking at, we talked about the emotion of the Philly team and also the chemistry of the Philly team. Are they going to be together? Are they going to get aggravated? We see all them get texts in the last matchup against the Nets. Can they get under their skin and get them out of their comfort zone and kind of force them to do things that they don't want to do? Yeah, it's, there's uh, lots of things that could happen. And, you know, I, I think that that home crowd, that Sixers home crowd as well, is absolutely boisterous and, you know, could have a real impact too. So They're um, mean as hell too. They are They are not the friendliest of teams. Uh, the, in terms of the, my general knowledge of their, the, the word fan comes from fanatic. You know, I, I think that the Philadelphia Sixers crowd and whatever sport it is, they're, they're, they're full of fanatics. And, and, you know, they show great support to their teams. Yeah, if you want to know how crazy they are, I think you should look up some videos from when the Eagles beat the Vikings in the playoffs, but that's yeah. the NFL talk. Yep, yep. Jack, you want to go through some questions before we get into our predictions? Yeah, firstly, thanks to everyone who jumped in. I, I literally put this out, you know, barely an hour or two ago. So the fact we that love people, you. <laughs> people are responding, you know, uh, all the support from, you know, people at OTG and the like, and, and every listener that supported us this year. Um, so Jesse Hoff, um, my crude lineup analysis said that Jared Allen and Spencer are doing much better together than Jarrett and D'Angelo thoughts. Now, Nick, I literally have the stats right in front of me. Do you want me to go through them? Yeah, you go through them. Let me hear what you got. Sure. I don't want to say anything stupid. <laughs> so in uh, 1,549 minutes this season, they, uh, D'Angelo Russell and Jared Allen have an offensive rating of 106.7 and a defensive rating of 109.8. So a negative, point, negative 3.1 net rating. Spencer Dibbany and Jared Allen have uh, shared the court for 845 minutes have an offensive rating of 104.3 and a defensive rating of 107.7. So a negative 3.5 net rating. So it's it's very negligible at the end of the day. You know, uh, the offense is better with D'Lo and Jared, but you 
tend to the fact that there's probably a lot of minutes there with a guy like Joe Harris as well, you know, shooting some threes and getting the points up. But the defense is worse because, you know, DeAnza Russell isn't as great a defender as a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie. So um, I think that maybe there might be some recency bias and, and that might be the case of late. Um, where Jared Allen has been playing a little bit better in the pick and roll with a guy like Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie. But there's also been some nice moments in the pick and roll from DeAnza Russell and Jared Allen. Um, so I don't think that there's necessarily much difference. Um, but we could see that the, the the relationship, obviously, between any guard and the big man is going to be so crucial. So how Jared Allen plays alongside Karis, D'Angelo, Spencer, gets him, the, gets him those screens, those screen assists, is going to be uh, crucially important. Yeah, I think they almost play with him differently where D'Angelo is looking to kind of hit Jared Allen a little bit more for the oops or the easy passes that are going to get him a dunk, where Spencer's using the screen a little bit more for himself this season to get in the rim and get to the lane a little bit. Obviously, we know off-court, Dinwiddie and Jared Allen are like best friends. They get along great. So that could have some type of positive impact. And also look at some of the stats as like D'Angelo and Jared Allen are going up against starters majority of the time. And Spencer is going up against bench players when he's out there a lot of the time. Obviously, he closes out games. But I think there's something to consider. I don't think either chemistry duo really has a giant impact in my eyes. No, uh, I, I think that, you know, there'll be you know, factors throughout this playoff series and however long it were to go and that game one as well. But it's certainly a point to look at. And and I, I enjoy the fact that Jesse asked it because it allowed me to do some research and just, you know, gain a better understanding of it. And I think it's a worthwhile observation. But uh, he had one more, Nick. Uh, he has an unfounded hope that playoff dealer can greatly increase his trip to the bucket and foul line. What are your thoughts on uh, D'Angelo Russell getting to the foul line a little bit more in this postseason? You know, we kind of discussed this a little before we hopped on the show, and I think he can as well. I think there's a part of him that was, like, trying to maintain his health and being smart and not maybe, you know, diving the paint a little bit. But now it's the postseason. This is where you really make your name. You have an opportunity, and you kind of hinted at it a little bit earlier. After that Kings game, he's been in the paint a little bit more. So I think D'Lo could get a little bit more active in terms of attacking the rim this series or at least trying to draw fouls. And just the fact it doesn't have to be going to the rim, I think he's done a solid job in probably the last quarter of the season drawing fouls on three-point attempts. Yeah, I think you make a good point about that three-point attempt. So I, I think a lot of the fouls that D'Angelo does draw as well are quite an inverted. He doesn't draw contact. He doesn't look for the contact like a guy like Spencer and Karras do. And I think Spencer looks for the contact. I think Karras just gets it because he's just not necessarily reckless in a negative way, but reckless in just the fact that he's so strong and so purposeful in wanting to get to the line and wanting to, to, to make the labs. Whereas D'Angelo doesn't have the, the niftiness and craftiness or creativity in terms of getting to the layup line. But uh, I think that one area that he has been doing better at is the general change of pace. Mm. Um, so, and knowing like, you know, oh, Joel Embiid's right there. I want to kick this out. Or Joel Embiid's got like a foot away from me. I'm going to make this really quick layup. Um, and we know, you know, he's not going to go right. He's only going left. He's Ben Stiller in that sort of aspect. He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't know how to go uh, more than one way. And, you know, that's predictable. You know, this is not a strong point of D'Angelo Russell's. And uh, I think it's worthy that, you know, despite the fact that he has been absolutely sensational this season, especially through from January onwards, you know, he has weaknesses. This is a weakness in his game and it could be exploited. Um, and I think that he needs, needs to be able to recognize what the game is giving him. And he's done that a lot better of late. You know, uh, I think that, you know, his scoring outbursts, his consistency, his ability to affect the game have been areas that I've, I've really marveled at. And, you know, there's been times, you know, since, you know, um, he's averaged... 
uh, in, in the game against uh, Washington, he had 10 free throws. In the game against Cleveland uh, in March, he had six free throws. Another six against Sacramento that we were talking about. Eight against the Portland Trailblazers. Six again against Milwaukee the other night. And five against Indiana. Obviously, didn't have any last night against Miami. But that game was almost an aberration. So It was like an all-star had, game. <laughs> it literally was. There was just guys shooting and guys dunking. It was it was a, it was a fun atmosphere. But yeah, I, I think that it's it's an aspect that I think he will grow into next season. Um, and I think that oh, I'll expect him to get better at. But for this point, um, oh, I think it's just going to be about his mentality and making the right decisions, um, what the defense is going to give him. Yeah, I think physically more growth in that area, getting stronger, help him get to the line a little bit more. One area that he could capitalize on to get more free throws would be his fake game. His ability to kind of show the ball, pull it away, kind of just get the defender uncomfortable would be you know an area. But I think uh, we're ready for the next question, Jack. Yeah, next question uh, from uh, Jorge Cantu absolute legend of otgbasketball.com, <laughs> which is the most favorable individual matchup the Nets can consistently attack. So we sort of spoke about it a little bit, Nick, but um, give me sort of one thing, one area that the Nets can attack uh, on the, the Philadelphia 76ers defense. Is it, you know, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie against a guy like TJ McConnell? Is it, you know, DeAngelo, whoever JJ Redick is having to guard, you know, is Joe Harris or, or whatever it might be. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think you brought up a great point. I think Spencer going against C.J. McConnell with that bench unit, he has the size, he has the speed, you can kind of use that edge against him. And I think whatever player is going against J.J. Redick is their driving ability. You know, even if it's a Damari Carroll, driving on J.J. Redick should be easier for him. Even Rodion's is going to be an area he can attack. Or, you know, we wouldn't be surprised if Kenny, he's done this a little bit this year, is throw out the Karras, Dinwiddie, yeah. and D'Lo lineup. And now yeah. J.J. Redick can't be hidden. Now you're going to have somebody attack him, and I think that's the Nets' best bet to kind of really get themselves in a good position and possibly get the Sixers in foul trouble too. Yeah, I really like that point, Nick, uh, of the three-guard lineup. We saw it a little bit, you know, even last night as well. So I think that we have some some aces up our sleeves in that sort of aspect. And, you know, yeah, I echo your sentiments in terms of the individual matchups that we can sort of exploit. But um, we'll move on to uh, another OTG legend, Nick Cavallo. Uh, he's Toronto Raptors doing uh, quite well. And he's been putting out some awesome content, holding down the Twitter page really well. Who's the most important player on the court for the Nets when Philly trots out their starting five with the PH? Love, love wordplay from... And puns from from my boys at OTG. They've been they've been listening to me and they've been they've been they've been reading me. Yeah, oh, Nick's always great. We almost had him on if the Nets faced the Raptors, which hey, you could happen in the next round. We'll, we'll say see. that another day. We'll um, in terms of the starting lineup, the Sixers have going against a Nets starting lineup. It's really tough to say. You know, it'd be easy to be like, well, Jared Allen, but I, I just don't think it's really plausible to be like Jared Allen's going to have a really great impact against those guys. I think it just has to be D'Angelo Russell. Like, he has to be out there and he has to be an all-star and not having these moments and these stretches where he's just really dominant because I don't know who else in the starting lineup is going to be more important than your best player, I guess. Yeah, I think it's a really simple answer, like you said, Nick. You know, D'Angelo Russell has to hit his shots. He has to take care of the ball. Um, not force the ball into live ball turnovers, get the, the sixes out in transition like we talked about. And he has to hit his shots and he has to get his assists. He just basically has to play like he has been playing uh, quite lately. Um, so in, in that sort of aspect, there's a, there's a lot to sort of consider, but it, it's a pretty easy answer. But we will move on to a question that we were not necessarily prepared for, but a, an incredibly thoughtful question from N1K, Captain, Captain Morgan FX. What are the metrics for Philly against the zone this year? And Nick, do you want to read the, the metrics? Because we didn't come up with these ourselves. It was uh, the, the incomparable John Schumann, as we mentioned. Uh, yeah, Jack, just give me a second to pull it up. I believe okay. I rem- remember off the top of my head, the Nets played the Sixers... 12 possessions of zone defense and the Sixers scored on six of those possessions or no six zone possessions and the Sixers scored 12 points. So yeah. not successful. No. At all. And, and I think that what, 
well, according to, we played only the Heat played more um, zone defense than us this season. Um, so it wasn't successful in that last matchup, but I think that it can be successful in this matchup. We might see it, and the fact that we have it as a, as an element and an ace up the sleeve. You know, in terms of the zone, if you have three point shooters, the zone um, is almost null and void. Like against the Bucks. Don't bother with the zone against the, the Rockets. You know, we did the, the history behind the zone with Coach Kenny is that the first ever time he tried it was in 2017. You know, uh, and he did a 3 2 zone. It was almost, you know, out of nowhere to an extent. And, you know, we, we were playing horribly. We were one of, the, one of the worst defensive teams in the league. And Coach Kenny just recautioned into the win and, and started playing the zone. And sort of from that, from that history and just seeing some effectiveness from it, obviously the Houston Rockets were, uh, had a tremendous season, one of the most historic uh, regular seasons of all time. But the Nets were able to sort of like, you know, make it null and void to an extent. So uh, I think that the zone is going to have a part to play. And I think that, you know, as long as we are able to defend JJ Redick um, and play, you know, a capable zone, then I think that's fine. You know, you, you, you'll you happily leave Jimmy Butler open for, for a few threes or at least make them lightly contested. But you, know, you don't want to leave, you know, JJ Redick open on, and you need to make sure that that communication is there. So I think that we will see zone, um, but I'm not sure if it will be as heavy as we see throughout, you know, other points of the season. And one area could play a major factor. If the Sixers are playing a little bit of hot potato, and like we talked about, the role's not willing to being defined, the zone can just slow down the offense even more, and now all of a sudden they're just passing around. They're like, who's going to take the shot? They end up taking a bad shot. I think it's just out there to kind of disrupt the flow of the Sixers' offense. And in some moments, it could be really helpful against a guy like Joel Embiid because you're putting more pressure, and then you have a little bit better idea what type of coverage you're running on the back end. Yeah, and I remember after the Spurs game, I believe, um, and sort of just gave me the, uh, a very simple statement from Coach Kenny um, about when he used the zone against the Spurs. It's essentially emblematic of when it will be used, likely against the Sixers, if and when we see it. It's after mates, you know, because mm-hmm. you can reset the, the defense. You know, you're not going to see zone defense with Ben Simmons in the ball in his hands uh, and sort of just attacking because it's just like you, you're leaving him just to um, absolutely exploit you in, in the fullest extent. So um, off makes and, and how well we do and how well we execute um, offensively could impact how often we use that zone. But um, it'll certainly have its part to play and a really nice thoughtful question from um, M1K. But we'll move on to um, a bloke who... who I, I've heard him before. I know his voice. Um, Will Jackson. <laughs> uh, what's the best plan to guard Embiid, Nick? You, you said Ed Davis. Are there any other? Do we see some Rondé Hollis Jefferson? Do we see some small ball? Um, uh, are there any other sort of, uh, I think there needs to be more than one way. Uh, there needs to be your plan A, B, C, D, all the way to through to the letter Z, I guess, with this guy. He's uh, insane. And I'll continue to sing his praises. No, seriously, that's actually the way to do it, I think, Jack. I think it's a way to throw like 100 different defenses at him. Just keep him uncomfortable. He doesn't know what's coming. Hey, we're going to double team you. Oh, we're going to triple team you. Oh, we're going to send guys on help right over here. Or we're going to run you in single coverage. Or we're going to play you hard. We're going to come out different ways. We're going to deny the ball. Whatever it may be, you don't want him to go into each possession and know what to expect. You want him to be really confused and not have an idea how the Nets are going to play him. And I think that's the best way to make a really good player. And as good as Embiid is, he doesn't necessarily have a ton of experience you know he's dealt with a lot of injuries he's missed a lot of time in the nba you're just gonna throw a whole bunch of defensive schemes at him he might get confused you know he's still gonna score his points but if you can take away a couple of those possessions that might be the difference and you get in the w 
Yeah, exactly. And we sort of saw where he was sort of exploited against the the Celtics last season with a guy like Al Horford. And the Nets would, would kill to have Al Horford for this series. <laughs> I think most teams in the NBA would. Um, Can we yeah. make a quick trade? <laughs> yeah, let's, just, let's do the let's completely make the, the rules of the NBA null and void just for, for this uh, for this postseason. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, just changing up and, and giving him different looks. But at the same time, you know, getting him foul trouble as well, continuing to drive on him in terms of that sort of plan um, to guard him, making him guard you at the same time you know drive into him um but at the same time you know if you get a few blocks on, on a guy like Embiid and obviously that's going to feed the crowd he loves the troll game he loves to get the crowd into it don't get this hard and, and I think that this Nets team needs to remain steadfast in whatever game plans they have up there you know that they want to execute and then be able to just be malleable I think that being adaptable is a is an area that this Nets team has shown pretty well throughout the season but i think that it's going to be important because we are the underdogs and we're going to need to do some things um and play above and beyond to, to beat this Sixers team and to to make a guy like uh mb less effective one more thing jack and i think this is a really tough task to ask anybody but it is to take a couple offensive fouls on Embiid, and that's what really gets him frustrated you know is it a charge or is it you catching an elbow from him going with the high elbows on some of his post moves that's what really gets him mad and that's what really can take him out of his game and the nets i want to say did that in their second or first matchup against Philadelphia this year, he got into foul trouble, and it wasn't just from defensive fouls. It was from offensive fouls because he was a little reckless with those elbows. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I think that, you know, you get, like you sort of said, get into his head. He can be a little bit hot-headed. We, we love his personality. I think that uh, I remember early in the season when uh, it was either Ramona Shelburne or Jackie McMullen, one of the, the great ESPN female writers, uh, did their sort of feature pieces on him. And it was like, when is the point that people are going to turn Joel Embiid? It's starting to happen already. And I think that this post is it's going to continue. You know, you, you, as the, the Batman saying is, you know, you live so long to uh, be a hero that you turn into a villain. Um, I think that it's starting to happen for MB and people are starting to get a little bit annoyed and frustrated with his antics. So if you can get, you know, get into his head a little bit, you know, he's obviously an Andre Drummond. So he doesn't have this sort of, you know, upper hand. You know, it, we don't really care. You know, just Jared Allen, you know, is going to be probably bullied and, bodied and bullied by him. But at the same time, you know, he has that sort of like that underdog mentality that we were sort of saying, use the footwork, you know, get a block on him early, make him think about you a little bit um, and, and force the ball, force him to shoot it from the perimeter because we know Jared Allen can guard okay out there. But um, yeah, it, it's, we could do an entire podcast about Joel Embiid and his season, his health, all, all the things surrounding his Twitter him. Game. <laughs> he's um, he's a, a really, really great and an and awesome player just to, to cover. Um, and Nick, we've got a couple more because, um, uh, my favorite person in the world, Corey Waldron, has also jumped into the to the comments. But um, in terms of, uh, we'll go to King Miguel. He had a couple of questions. So we'll go with question one. What chances are you giving the Nets to win this series if Embiid misses the entirety of round one? Should we save that for the predictions? Yeah, let's save that for prediction because we're going to do an Embiid injured and Embiid non-injured prediction. Great question, though. Great question, though. Um, the X factor we already covered from him. Who do the Nets need to lock down on if Embiid is out? He said with Embiid out. That hasn't been confirmed just yet. So we'll say if Embiid is out, is there a person that you think, Nick, that the, the Nets should look to? Um, I'll go with Jimmy Butler. Yeah, I like Butler. I think he has the biggest takeover ability in the series, you know, other than Embiid. He can just get hot. We've seen him not as much with Philadelphia, more so with Chicago Bull days or even a little bit with Minnesota, his ability to really take over a game and bring you to a W. Then after that, I'd probably go with Tobias Harris. You know, Ben Simmons could definitely have a major impact in the game, but I think the Nets will be okay handling him. I think Tobias is a guy that can get really hot and knock down those contested shots or come off picks and hit those mid-range jumpers that the Nets kind of give up. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I think that 
you basically said what I, what I would have uh, said myself as well, Nick. So we'll move on to his next question. Who the Nets, um, the Nets lack of playoff experience, important or nah? Uh, that's a great question. I think Philadelphia has some playoff experience guys. Obviously that whole team has pretty much been to the postseason. I think that'll have a minor impact, but the Nets do have guys like Damari Carroll, Jared Dudley, Ed Davis, who have been there. Spencer actually played a couple games with Detroit in the playoffs. So I think just having guys around that have been in the postseason should help them. And they still play a role in this team. You know, Damari, Ed Davis, and Jared Dudley are all going to see minutes in the series and they'll be in the regular rotation. Hey, I'm pretty sure Joe Harris has a chip, doesn't he? Or he oh, doesn't. yeah, 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 my bad, my bad. But Come Joe, on. I'll be, I mean, Please. Joe didn't really get to play at all, but yeah. <laughs> Please. Um, yeah, I don't think it makes much of a difference. And I think that there's almost, like I sort of talked about, you know, the, the sort of running theme that I've talked about, the element of freedom and no expectations. Um, it can either weigh you down and sort of, you know, the, the pressure and that sort of aspect. You know, a guy like D'Angelo Russell, is it going to weigh him down? Is a guy like Karis LeVert, Spencer Dimity, the fact that these guys have some expectations about them now. You know, the Nets fans want them to do well, but at the same time, they can be pretty crucial and pretty um, pretty brutal when it comes to, to their criticism at the same time. So, yeah, and, and even a guy like Shabazz Napier as well has been in the postseason for a couple of teams. So I don't think it makes much of a difference. Um, I think that if there was, you know, no playoff experience at all, like if you look at maybe like the Denver Nuggets who, you know, outside of Paul Millsap um, and, and some other guys, that it maybe has more of an impact because, you know, I don't think that they have that sort of chemistry and, and that sort of thing. And they don't rely as heavily. They rely most heavily on Nikola Jokic. And, you know, he's had some bad games of late, you know, against some sort of guys, including a guy like um, DeMarcus Cousins, who is, you know, looking to make a, an impact in the playoffs himself. So And get that yeah. money. Yeah, and get that money. It's all about that money at the end of the day. So, yeah, I, I don't think it makes much of a difference. But um, we will go to my favorite human being in the world, your favorite human being in the world, Mr. Corey Waldron, K-Ball Hoops. Who is best equipped to guard Ben Simmons? Lucky. You know, I, I actually really like Rodion's on Ben Simmons. Okay. I think uh, he's done a solid job. He has the athleticism. He has. He doesn't necessarily have the se- the strength, but he has the size. And Rodion's has an edge. You know, yeah. and then after that, I'd probably go with Damari. Yep. Uh, I think that I would probably go with Brody as well. I think that the, the quickness, his ability to get back, I sort of touched on a little bit um, in transitions to sort of, you know, guard him because, you know, he's a tremendous – and he's probably – I think Brody probably with Karras is probably our best transition defender. You know, Damari Carroll has the probably intelligence but lacks the quickness. Trevion probably similar and it probably has a little bit more uh, hops than a guy like Damari Carroll. But, yeah, a, a really interesting question. I think that Ben Simmons – is going to have some up and down moments throughout these playoffs. And, and you know, it's going to be, you know, the, the direction that this Sixers team takes beyond this season, you know, there's been calls for Ben Simmons to be traded. And, you know, this is Joel Embiid's team. But with Joel Embiid's injury history, you know, how does that affect things uh, at the same time? So, you know, the, the cohesion between Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons has been oft, oft criticized. So Ben Simmons is going to be in for, for a massive postseason. And, you know, if Rody can get in his head in a similar way to what happened to Blake Griffin and sort of, you know, at least, you know, make him think a little bit more uh, and, you know, make him, you know, force him into some turnovers, then I think that could be a, a really important thing. But um, do we want to get to the predictions uh, and, and address, I guess, as well, King Miguel's question in terms of predicting what's going to happen um, and the results? Yeah, let's get into it. Jack, before we get into the full predictions, you, what do you think of the starting lineup? Uh, starting lineup, starting lineup, starting lineup. Um, they the uh, same of what we've been seeing, you know, D'Lo, Joe Harris, Damari, Rodions, and Jared? Yeah, I think that that's um, the safest bet. Um, I think you sort of mentioned you can chuck in a Karras in there. And um, at moments, you know, he started last night, I believe. But I think you want to go with, you know, what's um, been most tried and true. Um, and against that Indiana team, we, we rolled with that. And 
know, we played incredibly well. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's the, the, the way to go. Yeah, the only thing I could see maybe later in the series, it would not completely shock me if they started Ed Davis a game or something. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you need to roll the dice occasionally. Um, there could be some, some minutes for Rondo here and there. Yeah, but it's obviously we, we've spoken at length about you know the changes that could be made and you know the the X's and Y's that sort of thing. But prediction, Nick, Sixes, Nets. Oh, I gotta go first, Jack. All right, no, well, I'm like, I, I've sort of overtaken the hosting thing because I do the questions. It's it's uh, the role reversal <laughs> of sorts. Um, all right, so we're gonna go Nets uh, against the Sixers with Embiid or without Embiid first. Uh, go with Embiid. With Embiid, and let's say he plays every single game, I think I'm going to go with the Sixers in six. Yep, I'll go Sixers in five. Okay, yeah, that, that fits our roles really well. It really does. It, <laughs> All uh, right, now I'm making you go first on this one. So sure. Nets versus Sixers without Embiid. Let's say he misses one game and he's not 100% the entire series. Um, I'll go um, Sixers in seven. Um, I'll go Nets in seven. Oh, hey, I like it. Um, I think that that was essentially what was going to happen. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think that the the Nets have a real shot if Joel Embiid is out. I think that he is the biggest um, player in in obviously uh, stature and, and the and the like to have an impact on this series. You know, DeAndre Russell is going to be massive. Spencer Dinwiddie is going to be massive. Ben Simmons, Jimmy Butler. Um, there's going to be plenty of players, but Embiid is just so crucial. So crucial to in terms of how he affects this series and, and the results eighth ways. We spoke about, you know, the, the fact that the Nets have been able to outscore the Sixers with Embiid off the floor quite uh, markedly. So if Embiid's off the floor for a game or two or for extended periods or he has a minutes limit, then uh, the Nets certainly can take advantage. And I think that they, they will. Um, I just can't see, even with Embiid out, that guys like Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, Jimmy Butler, that's three all-star caliber players, whereas the Nets have D'Angelo Russell. So I think by virtue of the fact that, you know, you just have a guy, the three all-star guys, whereas the Nets have D'Angelo Russell, Spencer Dimity, who is, you know, all-star caliber, Karis Levert, who most improved player and could be an all-star one day himself, obviously. And I don't think that, you know, Boban Majanovic, if he were to sort of step in for, you know, some token minutes here and there, I think that he could even have an impact just due to his, ridiculous size and the fact that he's recording bad boys and John Wick with with all these blokes around Hollywood. I'm a big fan of Bobby, but um, we'll have to wait and see how that all plays out. It's going to be fascinating once we find out that news about Joel Embiid. It could leave everything with... I think we've covered enough bases to sort of say that, oh, yeah, we said that. So we're like, we've covered our own butts in, in a lot of ways if Joel Embiid is healthy or not. Yeah, I mean, we've given over an hour of Nets content on this series already, and we're going to be doing recaps on the reg. And on Saturday, we'll be having probably some live periscopes for you as well, including Corey, too. And I think uh, the major factor, with Embiid or without Embiid, I think the thing I'm looking forward and kind of almost hoping, and this seems mean, it's kind of a negative thing, but the emotion and the chemistry of the Sixers going bad. And I think a lot of people are always like, oh, you know, chemistry, emotion doesn't really matter. Look at the Washington Wizards team, even before the John Wall injury. Like, that's a perfect example of chemistry and emotions having a negative impact on a team. So I think that could be something that happened with the Sixers. They haven't had issues that bad this season. But, hey, they lose one game in the playoffs. They lose game one. Things could start turning the wrong way. Chemistry and emotions could cost the Golden State Warriors a championship. It already True. did with Draymond Green, the year he kicked LeBron James in the in the testes. So <laughs> it could happen. I it, love that he scored testes. You can say nothing. <laughs> nice, nice little word. I wanted to change that. But I, I'm, I'm a highbrow dude, Nick. What are we talking yeah, about? Yeah, you are. Uh, you 
so yeah in terms of the the emotion emotional factor you know um, sports is, is an incredibly emotional pastime and, and uh, I, I think that you can't underestimate that fact and and on the conversely you know we, we talked about the crowd we talked about Joel Embiid playing well and and Simmons and everyone lifting the crown and JJ Reddick hitting three. So uh, at the same time, there could be some real positive vibes, positive emotions happening if the Sixers go on their runs as we sort of covered at length. A hundred percent. And guys uh, and girls, any questions or, you know, thoughts or tweets you want us to cover on the next show, definitely hit us up. Like we said, we'll be doing recaps, previews, whatever it may be over the next couple of weeks. Hopefully it's longer than expected. Jack, always a pleasure. Happy to record an actual podcast for you for the first time in a while. And check us out, iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, that's Republic.com, and YouTube. Lego Nets. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.